Hello, and welcome to Everyday Sublime. This is your host, Josh Summers, and it's always a pleasure to have you here. If you're new, this is a podcast where I endeavor to explore a full-spectrum spirituality. I draw on my background as a yin yoga teacher, a licensed acupuncturist, and as a really a lifelong impassionate Dharma practitioner. Um, and I try to weave these themes to explore what I think this, uh, a full-spectrum spirituality involves. And in this particular talk, part of that full-spectrum spirituality is how does our spirituality help us recognize and uh, navigate our way through conflict? And I'm bringing this theme up because I know we're heading into the holiday season. We have reunions and gatherings with family members we may not see regularly or very frequently at all. And those are those conditions are ripe for reawakening old wounds, getting into historical conflicts. And I want to offer some reflections in this talk about how I think the Buddha's insight around karma or conditionality helps free ourselves from the blame that arises out of fixed views we hold about others and ourselves. So there's a, a sense of how our view of things, particularly if it's a view that sees essential characteristics or essential personality in another person or within ourself, how that view of fixedness or uh, of essentialism um, is really the, the, the necessary precondition for blame. And blame, in my experience, just tends to reinforce lines of division and the borderline upon which conflicts uh, generate or come about. So I hope you enjoy this talk, and um, as you'll hear, you know, I'm speaking to a group that I gather with on Monday mornings in the U.S. Um, I shouldn't say, it's, it's U.S. time zone, it's 7 a.m. U.S. time zone on the Eastern Standard Time, uh, but we have members from Ireland and, and continental Europe and Germany and Switzerland, members from Asia and Singapore and Indonesia, and we really have a growing community of people from all over. And I just want to extend an, an invitation to you. If you... Uh, value these practices or are interested in these practices and you are looking for support, please do consider joining us. My, uh, my life partner and I, Terry, we teach yin yoga, a very gentle, accessible form of yoga. Uh, we teach qigong, a very accessible form of movement practice, energetic cultivation, and we teach meditation. And these three together, um, we feel, give a, a particularly nice synergy and meaning the, the synergistic effects of the practices done together um, are more impactful, maybe, is one way of saying it. They're more impactful than if you were to do these practices individually. So if you're interested in any of this, if you're interested in the practices, if you're interested in, in the themes, consider joining our Riverbird Sangha. There's an offer for you in the, in the show notes where we extend a two-week free trial membership in our, in our practice Sangha. Um, it's a you'll get that free code, it's actually free 14 that you would add as a coupon code at checkout when you join. Um, but when you sign up for the newsletter to get that code, you'll also receive our free copy of my new ebook on the what, why, and how of yin yoga, where I really try to break down my view of how to think about practicing so you can practice intelligently and wisely. Whether you're a teacher or a student, I hope you'll find benefit in reading this book. Um, in a future episode, when I have a little more time, I'll share, you, share with you some of the uh, feedback I've been receiving from the book. But um, 
if you're interested in any of that, head over to the link in the show notes or head over to joshsummers.net. Sign up for the newsletter. You'll get the free copy of the ebook, The What, Why, and How of Yin Yoga, and you'll also get a free two-week trial in the Riverbird Sangha, practicing Yin Yoga, Qigong, and meditation with me and Terry. We look forward to practicing with you. And without further ado, here's today's talk, The More We Hear. So welcome and good morning from Maine. It's a chilly day here, overnight temperatures down into the mid to high teens. And um, one of the themes that I wanted to start with was um, along the lines of of uh, it being chilly, it, it always reminds me when the temperatures drop of something uh, the Burmese teacher that I worked with used to say. Um, he said, in morning practice, this is Sayada Upandita, uh, Sayada Upandita would say, in the morning, it's beneficial to do some walking meditation before sitting. And he said, it's like on a cold day before you drive your car. This is going back a bit. I don't know if this applies to modern automotive car designs. But he would say, on a cold day, it's good to turn the car engine on, let it warm up before you attempt to drive, before you drive. And he compared the walking meditation practice, maybe like 20 minutes, 30 minutes of walking meditation before sitting to that process of warming the mind up, warming awareness up. So that when we would sit, we could start to see more. The, the, the presence we created through the body, our embodied awareness, allowed us to see more clearly what was going on. And so we just did qigong, some, a little bit of basic mobility movement. And that mobility, as I was trying to say real lightly, um, when we in, intend to move fluidly, it often reveals the things that aren't, uh, that aren't helping with fluidity. <laughs> it reveals the crunches and the, the pops and the, the things that may be a little bit scarred up uh, or uh, just slightly misaligned or held with chronic tension. So the, there's this idea that when we intend to cultivate one quality, it can reveal its opposition. And I want to take that idea into uh, a, a, a Dharma theme around stillness and what stillness reveals. You've probably heard the, uh, it's like a phrase or a, a slogan or a meme that you might see on social media, you've probably heard the phrase, the quieter we become, <clears throat> the more we hear. The quieter we become, the more we hear. And every time I heard that, it's, it's always, I've always in, internalized that, I've always received that with the, the, the assumption that what I'm hearing in getting quieter the, the stuff I'll hear when I'm getting quieter is um, is is just is beautiful. It's it's beauty itself. That the the quieter my own chatter is, that the the natural 
radiance of the, the world of experience becomes more beautiful. And I don't know if that's how you internalize that statement. The quieter we become, the more we hear. But what my Dharma practice has taught me, my meditation practice has taught me, is that the quieter my mind becomes in meditation, the more I can hear, but it should be added, the more I can hear dukkha. <laughs> the more I can hear uh, the kinds of things, the kinds of experiences, the conditions in my life that are tied up or bound within conflict. And one of the monks that I studied with, Ajahn Amaro, um, had, a, had a lovely phrase for this. He said, and you've heard, some of you have heard this before, but the phrase is simply, movement, movement masks dukkha. And it's this idea that um, our life is, is, is pervaded with a sense of unsatisfactoriness in some ways. And when we move, i.e. we do stuff, we reach for things, we, we fill our life with activity, we're in, in many ways trying to mask that fundamental sense of dissatisfaction or that whatever conflict may be arising. We try to mask that. But the correlate or the, the inverse of Amaro's statement, movement masks dukkha, could be that stillness reveals dukkha stillness reveals dukkha and that's what i'm getting at with this idea that the quieter we become the more we can hear and become awake to internal conflict and learning how to metabolize conflict learning how to understand conflict how to uh, more wisely relate to conflict really seems to be from my perception, seems to be at the heart of this Buddhist path of awakening. That we're not transcending our conflicts. We're developing tools and ways of seeing that help us understand conflict to mitigate, release, stop, or un, uh, just uh, release ourselves or release the situation from the, the kinds of fuels that propel conflict. Now, why am I even bringing any of this up today? And the reason, and I want to answer that. The reason I'm sort of speaking to this theme today is that, at least in the United States, um, many of us are preparing for a holiday in which um, we often gather around a table for a, a big meal, usually. Um, with members of our immediate family, extended family. And, and there's a little bit of a, a joke that runs through most meditation cultures that if you ever have the sense that you may have attained some degree of enlightened awareness, if you think you've ever woken up at all, <laughs> if you've ever think you may have really realized something on the spiritual path, then one surefire way to test that realization is to go spend significant time with your family, your family of origin. And I know many of you are coming in from outside of the U.S., and I want to warmly welcome you also. I, I don't want this to be a specifically a U.S.-focused uh, theme, 
But I think for many people that I've spoken to from many different cultures, our family of origins are the places where we've experienced a lot of conflict. I, I, recent, I just wrote this down that our, within our families, we have a lot of unresolved conflict and crisis. Our families hold unresolved conflict and crisis. And particularly, I know this for myself, that when I get into situations where I'm you know, in contact with members of my original family, um, it can quickly bring me into a state that, I, that I'm completely ashamed of, of being in kind of an arrested development, right? I, I slide right back into a fixed role um, and have fixed, very fixed views about the members of my family, fixed views about myself in relationship to them, certainties around what happened in what year, at what time, that fuels a sense of indignation or righteousness. <clears throat> and when I was getting my notes together for this short talk, um, reflecting on the pain that I can identify in my own family, a poem from the, the British poet uh, Philip Larkin, who was... Uh, alive in the, the the last century, the middle of the last century. This poem came to me, and I, I just want to give you a, a short. If you if if um, I'm trying to find the euphemism here, there's a there's an there's an expletive used in this poem. So there's a trigger warning. If if expletives um, are are upsetting to you, just be warned. But the poem is called "This Be the Verse." <clears throat> He says, they fuck you up, your mom and dad. They may not mean to, but they do. They fill you with the faults they had and add some extra just for you. But they were fucked up in their turn by fools in old style hats and coats who half the time were soppy stern and half at one another's throats. Man hands on misery to man. It deepens like a coastal shelf. Get out as early as you can and don't have any kids yourself. So I appreciate the sentiment of that poem. And I often find when I, when I pe feel pe people really describe the pain of the human condition, it can take a cynical, sarcastic, hopeless tone, similar to the way Larkin expressed just there. Don't have kids yourself. Get out as fast as you can. But in the Dharma, in the Dharma, I, I hear the potential for um, 
bending the arc and and by that i mean bending the arc of the historical pain we receive and and in becoming awake and becoming more conscious becoming aware more aware of our internal world and our external world i hear in the dharma a potential for transforming that deepening coastal shelf into something different. And in thinking about the Dharma around this, this theme, you know, I've, I did a little online prep and, you know, looked at meditation tips for avoiding charged family dynamics at the table. And there's lots of listicles out there. There's lots of listicles, things you can do, like focus on your exhalation, extend your exhalations. No one will notice. It will help regulate your nervous system and bring you into more of a parasympathetic state. Get up if from the table, go to the bathroom. You can hum in the bathroom a little bit or take go outside. Touch yourself. There's recommendations for, you know, bring a sense of embodied awareness. And all of those little tips are, are fantastic. And, and um, I, I think they're great. But I think if I were to try to summarize it in the next four minutes, I would say what really jumps out at me, the more I understand the Dharma, is that the Buddha's core insight seems to be that nothing arises on its own. Nothing arises independently. Everything that occurs, everything arises due to particular causes and conditions. And this is called conditionality. Conditionality. My friends, uh, Two of my Dharma friends, uh, Linda Madero, who gave a Dharma talk with our Sangha probably a year or two back now, um, and her colleague, Nellie Koffer, have a new book out. It's coming out next fall. So if you like this quotation, um, I'm, sure I, I'm sorry I can't give it to you yet because the book's not out. But they have a, a nice passage about exp explaining what conditionality means. The way they write it. And they again, they're saying this is the heart of the Buddha's insight. Nothing arises in isolation. Everything arises conditioned upon other things. They say this might be the most important teaching in Buddhism. And what's crucial is a deep awareness of the flux and instability in your meditation and life. So in our practice, when we sit with ourselves, we start to confront the flux, the instability, both within our meditation experience, but more broadly within our life. And we see it directly. We see it directly. So it's not conditionality, as they say, is not an abstract understanding. It's not a doctrine of a philosophy. You see it directly. You see the changingness of your body, your moods, your thoughts, 
this instability and flux is revealed. And I love how they say this. They say this matters. Seeing this matters because when you perceive, when you start to perceive the myriad conditions at play in any situation, you can no longer blame yourself or others wholeheartedly. When you see the conditionality, the flux, the instability of all things, when you see the myriad, that myriad conditions are at play in any situation, you can no longer blame yourself or others wholeheartedly. And if there was a simple way of summing up the fuel of conflict, and I don't mean to oversimplify this, but I would say blame is a big part of it. Blaming oneself. I should have done that. I should have not have done that. I can't believe I said that. Blaming others. They did that. They said that. They'll never understand. They're, they have such a big blind spot. That's their personality. It's always been that way since they, they came onto the scene. All of that, those views, views of essentialism, views that point to an essential characteristic intrinsic to somebody or to oneself, those views of essentialism are incompatible with a view of conditionality. So in, what I'm getting at is, and, and wise view is a huge part of, it's one-eighth of the Buddha's Eightfold Path, but he's essentially talking about how our views of ourself and the world condition the views we have condition how we act think speak relate and if our view of ourself and others is distinguished by seeing essence not seeing conditionality we see the world i.e. ourselves and others, as possessing fixed essence, fixed characteristics. And that reinforces the borderline of the conflict. So our practice is very simple. We come together, we sit for a fixed period of time. We intend to be still, to be receptive to our experience. And we're listening. We're listening to the conditions as they arise and cease, change, develop, move, come back, return, go away. We just observe how conditions behave on their own. Our ideas, our thoughts, our feelings, all of these conditions in flux. In sitting with that, we'll have time to reflect back on it with the idea of how can we perceive conditionality 
in our own experience, in perceiving conditionality in our own experience, we slowly transform our view of ourself from one that possesses fixed, unalterable traits, capacities. We become less fixed, less frozen, more fluid, and more aware of that fluidity, which allows us to collaborate with the deeper intentions that reside in our heart. So the theme today is conditionality in our experience. In touching into that, may we soften the blame of ourselves, the blame towards ourselves, and the blame towards others. May we develop a more wiser, more compassionate understanding that the things in our life, the things in our dynamics, the things in our relationships arise due to the conditions that support them. So I just leave you with that reflection for now, and we'll come to a sitting together. Okay, I hope you enjoyed today's talk. I could tell that in the talk, when I re-listened to it myself, that my um, my morning voice, it's a little deeper, a little groggier, my morning voice was on, maybe a different tone for some of you in the podcast, but um, I'm really enjoying the morning format, um, and I look forward to practicing with you, and if you would like to join and practice along with me and Terry, whether it's yin yoga or qigong or meditation or all three, do check us out at the Riverbird Sangha. There's a link for you in the show notes. If you head over to my website, joshsummers.net, sign up for the newsletter. You'll get a two-week free trial coupon that you can add at checkout. It's actually free 14. So if you just type in the word free, letter numbers 14, free 14. When you join, uh, you'll see you get a two-week trial. And then if you don't wish to continue, you can always cancel within that trial period. But in addition to the two free week trial, we'll be sending you a copy of my new ebook, The What, Why, and How of Yin Yoga. And on that note, I'm just going to say I'm also excited because I just wrapped up a teacher training I've given on yin meditation called The Heart of Wisdom. And now that this big course that I've, I've been producing for the last eight weeks is, is completed, and I'm really happy with it, now I'm going to be able to uh, direct more of my attention to the writing that I've been trying to do. And that includes writing a book on Chinese medicine and yin yoga, how yin yoga harmonizes the qi, as well as a more full-throated um, sort of book about what I what I call yin meditation. So I'm, I'm looking forward to these creative projects. I'm looking forward to sharing them with you. And your support in the Sangha helps me do that work. So I just want to say out of gratitude, thank you for your support. If you're not interested in joining the Sangha now, I understand. Many of you have shared your appreciation said now is not the time for you we totally get it um but if you could just maybe consider sharing an episode of this podcast or sharing something from our website and that would be very helpful for uh, getting our message out and i just want to thank you in advance for that support given the holidays are here i hope you keep practicing stay strong i hope you're able to navigate the, the increased challenging conditions of the holidays with ease peace wisdom and compassion. 
So from our practice to yours, thank you so much, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Take good care.